what's the basis of that? Is it um, they are, the contract's not fair because uh, we don't really have a choice. So is that kind of an antitrust approach? What's the what's the basis okay. of the law? Well, that- you use the right, so you, you were doing great until you said antitrust, but of course you're not lawyers, so that's fine. Um, so the basis of calling the arbitration clause unconscionable and unenforceable and illegal is part of it is we had no choice. This isn't a negotiated contract. We didn't even sign it. They wrote it and shoved it down our throat. So that's part of it. That's mm-hmm. what's called it's procedurally unconscionable because it was shoved down our throat. We had no choice. They didn't even sign it. We were bound to it. The moment we, we, you fill one prescription for Optum, you're bound to that arbitration. And the second part is that it is substantively unconscionable because it's one thing if we didn't have a choice, but we had a fair shot at winning anyway, but no. We don't have a fair shot at winning because they make it so expensive, deliberately make it so expensive that we can't win. Mm. It's too costly. You know, if I've got a $200,000 claim, how am I going to pay $100,000 just in fees to have my case heard? All right. So, so you get past the arbitration clause. Right. Okay. So you right. get that, hey, I can sue you. Right. Right. What am I suing you for? Exactly. Okay. Several things. First of all, the MAC price. So I guess, let me explain what Mac is. Does everybody know what Mac is? Um, I think it'd be okay. There might be some viewers Mac, who might not Mac, know. So, so most generic drugs are paid for in what's called Mac or maximum allowable cost. Now, that's an interesting word, maximum allowable cost. Um, they violate that two ways. First of all, it's supposed to be a market-based Mac price. It is supposed to be based on objective, reliable wholesale pricing information, such as NADAC, Mm -hmm. the National Average Drug Acquisition Cost, which CMS puts out in a survey every month, such as reputable information from wholesalers. Their MAC price, as I said, has nothing to do with any wholesale cost. It is made up. It's whatever they want it to be. be I've seen MAC MAC. prices at 50% of NADAC, at 20% of NADAC. Doesn't matter. And now, now, if the MAC price is too low, you're supposed to be able to take a MAC appeal. Oh, take a MAC appeal. There's state laws, like 30 state laws require MAC appeals, where if you're underpaid, you appeal, and they can say, oh, whoops, oh, we paid you, uh, you mean NADAC is five is is $5, and, uh, excuse me, NADAC is $10, we paid you $5? Oh, we're going to fix that. Well... 95% of their appeals they reject. 95%. Even though we could prove in black and white they're wrong at least 80% of the time. Then it gets better. The 5% they grant, how about this? They say, well, we, we accepted that appeal. Let's look at this situation. NADAC is $10. They pay you $5. You appeal. They raise it to $5.50. Well, we graded that appeal. No, but you're still paying me below my cost. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they actually do that. They do yeah. this kind of nonsense. Yeah, to me, it makes you wonder that they're not sitting back there a lot of times going at the end of each year. Hey, we're just going to we're gonna crank our dial down. Yep. As long as in the next year our network's still big enough, the next year we're going to crank it down some more. Just totally mm-hmm. arbitrary. I, you, you are, I have no doubt, 
I, you know, I don't know what your background experience is, but I, that that rings true to me, absolutely. So then here's the second thing they do with, with uh, Mac. Okay, so that's the first thing, which is the Mac has disconnected from a valid uh, wholesale benchmark, and uh, it is often paid below the wholesale benchmark. Mm-hmm. Here's the second thing. Maximum allowable cost. Okay, I'm going to ask both of you a question. What does maximum mean? The very possible biggest number there is, right? Maximum. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Same drug, same health plan. Okay. Same drug, same health plan. Mm -hmm. Right? Same day. We're in the same day. Okay. Patient walks into your store and you get paid $5. Right. Same patient, same patient. But it turns out you're right. Same patient walks into Walgreens, same drug, same health plan, gets $10. Did you get the maximum? No. That's what we say too. If you you put in the contract, hey, you wrote this contract. Right. We're going to pay the maximum. Then we get the top dollar you pay anybody. Mm-hmm. And this is an enormous amount of money. This is an enormous amount of money because we, we know uh, their study, there's tremendous variability in what they pay from provider to provider. Do you think the big chains are getting paid a lot more than the independents are? There's no doubt in my mind they are. Yeah, I can't say I that's true on that. every script, Yeah, but on average, there's no question about it. So would uh, the PBM come back and say, well, they're bigger, they were able to negotiate, that's free market. Probably, okay, and uh, does that mean the word volume. maximum changes definition? Right. That, yeah. It does. And that's the problem is the contract says maximum rather than saying, you know, if it said yeah, it listed their, every drug and said what that's, I was going to pay you. Yeah. That's their problem. They said we're getting the maximum. Yep. You know, that's their problem. Um, so, you know, they could have, they, they write the contract. They, there's fundamental principle of law. When you write the contract, it gets shoved anything Anything ambiguous or doubtful about it gets shoved right up your butt. Uh, you you know you can't you can't get out of it. So they wrote the contract. They said maximum. They and, and here's the other thing: maximum. Will, first of all, maximum in and of itself. And believe me, I've looked it up in every dictionary I could. Right. <laughs> it not only means the highest, but it, it is it's an inherently singular number. You only can have one maximum, right? Yep. How can you, you have ten max? Unless they're all tied for the maximum, right? But, right. but so, it can only be one number. So they're not even only... defining. Yeah, because I'm I'm right. I'm in the same boat. You same thinking thought process that you are is that maximum is this is the maximum for this one product. So there should only be one maximum price. Right. But it's how like, can you have more than one maximum for one yeah. product? Yep. Yeah. So, so and that's inherent. their problem because they won't do it against a bench, benchmark. You know, one way to write a contract is to say Nadac right. times this. Right. Um, so, that's so here's another here's another point. My understanding is historically, and this I rely on our experts, that Mac the term Mac originated out of the state Medicaid laws. Okay. And probably a federal a law about a, I think there was a federal I think once called the federal upper limit. Well, guess what? Every single if you look at every single state Medicaid Mac list, it's one price. Right. For each form. Mm. They don't say it's one price if you're in this managed care organization and what it's one price. And it's the only thing that makes sense. 
it's the only thing that makes sense. You know, in a in a free market, in a true free market economy with transparency and equal information, mm-hmm. it should be one price, not ten. You know, they're able to do this nonsense because everything is cloaked in a ironclad secrecy. They, they, I always tell everybody, this industry needs secrecy to exist like you and I need oxygen to live. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, if everybody, people knew what the hell was going now on with Now it's these making the colors. M and Mac made up yeah. pricing. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. You're right. Manufactured. Manufactured <laughs> yeah. pricing. It's a manufactured, it, 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 it's, it's, so anyway, um, every, you know, every, I think um, everyone who is not immersed in the industry, if you just tell them what's going on, they say, of course it should only be one price. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the drug. Um, the wholesale variability, even with generics, right? Obviously with the manufacturer, there's one wholesale price out of a brand. He's the only manufacturer. But even within generics, the, the range of variability on wholesale prices is not that great. It's a pretty competitive price. It's not like this. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like this. But when you, when you look at MAC prices that are paid by PBMs, it's like this. They're all over the place. So what's going on in the yeah. D.C.? Any, what's, any, what's new? Any new? Do y'all, do y'all know anything from any insider stuff about D.C.? Is, do you think they're still going to, uh, is November still the date for the retailers? you think they're going to give the retailers a little, little grace? Well, there's, a, well, there's a lot of discussion around so many different pieces. As you know, the stakeholders in the in the industry are the the manufacturers, the wholesalers, mm-hmm. and the pharmacies. Um, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, the pharmacies have the tools or have resources to the tools to be compliant. It's the other two stakeholders, or you know, especially the 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 wholesalers, pushing back that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. So there's yeah. a lot of yeah. Well, the manufacturers, about, there are manufacturers who don't even have the 2D barcodes and stuff today, right? Well, uh, that that's Mark. I'll let you talk to that. I think that's done. That part is done. Well, that was supposed to be done by 2018. Yeah. Um, it's pretty much done. I had I just was on a call yesterday with a pharmacy that said they had some product without 2D barcodes, but uh, that was the first I'd heard of it okay. for a long time. But if they don't have them done, then there's a real problem. You're right, Jeff. So when so. they say that the manufacturers are behind, it's not necessarily the 2D barcode. It's, ne- it's uh, sending the data about that? Right. It's exactly. It's a getting the data in an Aptis format, setting it down the line, being able to do product verification and product tracing, that whole package of interoperability. That's what they're they're behind on. They have the labels. It's just about the full electronic tracking. But everybody's in a sprint to try to get it done. But there are people who are saying not quite. So the so just give us the the ninety second for somebody who might be living under a rock and just came out to watch our podcast. Huh? It was good. good. There we go. Um, <laughs> of what is what is uh, DSCSA and and how is it going to affect the pharmacy? So drug drug supply chain security act is creating a secure supply chain from the manufacturer to the dispenser to increase patient safety, keep bad drugs out of the supply chain, keep harmful drugs out of the supply chain. And it's basically tracking that product so you can verify that not only the the trading partner is who they say they are, but the drug is what it says it is. 
so you're you're removing any possibility of harm for the patients. Some people ask whether it's really needed, whether dispensers have to participate. But the you know the last big counterfeit event that was in the papers at Gilead event um, that you know a lot of drug got into the supply chain that was counterfeit. It went through a secondary, and um, it was caught by a dispenser. A dispenser caught that drug. Um, how did, um, how did they catch it? Counterfeit. Well, it was they had a patient who talked about their their reaction to the drug. They looked at the data they had, and then they said, "We think there's a problem with this drug." Hmm. And they they caught that there was a huge amount of product in the supply chain that was um that was uh, dangerous to their patients. So not only was it counterfeit, but it was not the right drug. Or, it wasn't right. It was it was a count. It was a counterfeit. Yes, but it was bad counterfeit. It wasn't accurate counterfeit. It was a counterfeit, and it wasn't the actual drug. Exactly. Right. The other red flag that kicked in was the actual price. It was extremely lower than the regular price, so that that raised red flags as well. Right. Right. Exactly. So, and that that brings up an important point that dispensers are really the firewall for the Drug Supply Chain Security Act. If the dispensers aren't that you know, aren't there active, then you're not going to catch counterfeit drugs. And the dispensers and the pharmacists, they're the ones with the experience, the the judgment mm-hmm. to catch these things. They're really protecting patients' safety with this with this law. Um, and they're key to it all working well, quite frankly. So. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the DSCSA is, the U.S. drug supply chain is the safest in the world by far. Um, this is just to to help manage the fact that you know, just to help weed out any chance of getting a counterfeit or illegitimate pro- products into the into the supply chain, because it's all over the streets with the fentanyl issues and whatnot. I mean, there's 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 you know issues out there. It's keeping the drug supply, the pharmaceutical drug supply, clean um, from that. And just with that being said, this was twenty December of twenty twenty that this Gilead issue happened. So it's very recent. It, you know, so. Yep. So that's, that's and so to together. add to the people who might be living under a rock, not that they are, because now they listen to our podcast, <laughs> or they might not necessarily uh, go to street shows and learn uh, about these things going on. So, what is the effective date when all of this stuff is supposed to actually take a, into effect and be affecting their work potentially working their workflow? So it's been phased in in multiple phases. Mm-hmm. So the Today, there's pieces of DSCSA that the pharmacies are supposed to be doing. Things like making sure that they only order from licensed uh, or suppliers with a valid license. Making sure that they receive all of the data with the product, it's accurate, complete, and store that for six years. Make sure you have a procedure in place today that outlines what to do if you receive an illegitimate product or a suspect, something that is damaged or... It's it's a wrong shape pill or it looks different than the normal. Whatever, mm-hmm. what is your procedure for quarantining that? Those are little pieces that should be in place today. Okay. Going to November 27, twenty twenty three of this year, obviously, uh, the interruptibility kicks in, and that is the traceability piece of it, which which is the most complicated portion of it as well. Mark, I'll I'll, I'll turn it over to you to add with that interruptibility phase. We go from 
lot level tracking is a product level tracking. Every every product will have its own unique serial number, and the intent is to track all those drugs throughout the supply chain. We're collecting serial numbers, of course, expiration dates, lot numbers, all of that information to be able to track that drug specifically. And we're putting guards in place like product verification to be able to verify that that drug you're about to sell is the drug that um, the manufacturer made to make sure it's not a counterfeit. Um, so when I get my order, yes. I will scan each bottle in? Yep, you scan that bottle. That, that barcode has that unique serial number for that bottle that's how, that, um, that you can confirm that's what it is and what it's supposed to be. Yeah, we yes. had somebody going around at uh, Cardinal saying, hey, their feature was that you could receive your order without having to scan it. I don't see how that's. <laughs> and I would say, be. yeah, that's a great. That's not an advanced feature. That's that, that's a, that's a wrong asking, feature. That's asking for an audit. Well, no, that's just yeah. wrong. So you yeah. scan it. it for trouble. I think one of the biggest things we're doing, we actually just had like a call about it this morning, is North Carolina law just changed to allow okay. pharmacists to prescribe tobacco cessation products, so nicotine replacement oh, right therapy, okay. um, hormonal contraceptives glucagon, prenatal vitamins, and is it post-exposure? Yeah, post-exposure prophylaxis for right. HIV. Oh, HIV. Okay. Um, nice. So okay. we are heading up those projects, and I'll let Tori kind of jump in on that since she's been doing a lot with it. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're trying to take these ideas and put them into action. Um, so the law actually was approved and, and set into action on February 1st, but unfortunately, we're still waiting on standing orders, so we can't actually go with it right. yet. Um, but we are just making sure we're following appointment-based models. So we want to make mm -hmm. sure that we have some marketing in place so that mm -hmm. our patients know about these new options. And then um, that they know that we're trying our best to schedule. That way we can still continue on with our normal pharmacy mm -hmm. workflow. Um, and then as far as like actually prescribing these products, we're making sure on our end that we're getting the most cost-effective options for both the pharmacy and the patient. Mm -hmm. So a lot of research in that side too. Um, birth control is definitely the most complicated yes. when it comes to nicotine replacement. There's only That's a few good. options. Really? Yeah, that yeah. one is okay. Yeah. That, that one's ready to roll yeah. out. We're just waiting on that standing order to be signed by the health and, department. And that one's yeah. ready to go. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The so, birth control is taking a little bit more um, of a of an eye to it. So I'm coming up with documents, showing them to people, um, and making sure that we're getting lots we and lots of feedback before yeah. we roll it out. Um, so we want it to be very easy and seamless, but also um, very, very professional. Um, so mm -hmm. we don't want to be, you know, pulling up the CDC app while we have patients in front of us. We want to make sure that we've, you know, done all of our research ahead of time and have the best um, kind of options laid out in, in advance as much as we can. There's always going to be a curveball, but right. we're trying to make it as professional as possible. So, Just, so smoking yes. cessation first, is that what I've heard? Mm -hmm. So that one's, that yes. one's good, ready yes. to go. Yeah. Why is, no, why is birth control yeah, what's, what's so the complex? What's, what's the complexity there? What's, what is that non-pharmacist? So talk to a, talk to me like I'm yeah. kind of dumb. So yeah. the biggest complexity right now is we're waiting on the standing order. So okay. cool. all of these are going into effect based off of a statewide standing order to that the health director is signing basically an order saying 
the pharmacist, if they the patient meets X, Y, Z criteria, mm-hmm. then the pharmacist can prescribe these products. Mm-hmm. And I mean, smoking cessation, that's pretty straightforward. We're doing nicotine replacement products that are over the counter right. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just waiting on the medical director to sign off on that. There are very clear guidelines yes. when it comes to nicotine. With the hormonal contraceptives, there mm-hmm. are so um, just, there's <laughs> so many different kinds. So, so you've much, got oh, your yes. progesterone only pills, and then you've mm-hmm. got your combined oral contraceptives. And within those, you have four different generations of right. progestins yeah. that have different okay. activities. Yeah. So you're really looking at how you're compensating for the woman's natural hormones okay. um, to help, you know, use the side effect profile to your advantage. Yes. So that's that's just really complex and trying to think through and then try to simplify it so that we can you know, make these decisions quickly and not just be mm-hmm. like, hey, this is one size fits all. You get right. this drug. Right. Yeah. Wow. It's not. Yeah, while fitting in the box of the standing order. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right, right, yeah. exactly. So, and yes. we don't have that yet. Right. So, I don't yeah. know if we're like overthinking <laughs> yeah. it and then yeah. they're going to come back with this real tiny box and <laughs> be like, you have these four products to choose from. But, right. I mean, yeah. but that's what most pharmacists do. We overthink it. We win yes. for the worst case scenario. That's a great, then, great absolutely. point. Yeah. 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 We're also very, very good. I think this is just Moose Pharmacy in general. I think we're getting a little off topic here about (laughs) what we do as a resident, but we're very good at just seeing the new opportunities and just jumping, like jumping Mm -hmm. straight in. So a couple months ago when these monoclonal antibody treatments for COVID-19 were really big and, you know, you couldn't get them anywhere. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We were doing them in our parking lot. Yeah. So we brought patients in. We don't have pharmacy space, like actual physical space in the store where we could separate these COVID positive patients from yeah. maybe the patients who are very high risk and obviously are not COVID positive at that time. Um, so we were doing these injections and these treatments in our parking lot, in patients' cars, bringing them all in. Mm -hmm. That was an adventure. Basically, we just jumped right on it and we saw a new opportunity and we jumped. We're doing the same thing with the Evashield so that um, prophylaxis, that prevention and antibody, monoclonal Mm -hmm. antibody for patients who are very, very high risk and immunocompromised, um, antibody testing, antigen testing, PCR, (laughs) Triple kit. We've now added flu to our lineup. We've done that. We've done. I I feel like if something is new, we just jump in on it, and the residents are the ones who have to figure it out. Figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. So we put like figure out like do the research behind it. Like which test are we doing? Which one has the specificity and um, sensitivity and all of that. So uh, legislation and uh, advocacy always uh, super important. Uh, so anything exciting going on in Colorado these days? Colorado's got a lot of good things going for it. Pharmacists can do a lot. Um, we can prescribe in various categories that a lot of states can't. And I just learned yesterday that some states still don't allow their pharmacists to vaccinate. It's like, oh my gosh, like that is so unfortunate. And so, um, again, how can we kind of pull together and just move pharmacy as a whole forward? Um, we've met with some local uh, staffers, you know, for some, uh, uh, house of rep, uh, house of representatives and just educated them on, you know, PBM transparency and provider status and things like that. And, and it's, it's crazy when you start to describe what is happening to just all of pharmacy and specifically independent pharmacy, it's like, 
they are just mind blown when you talk about DIR fees, when you talk about underwater claims and like, yeah, like, do you know of any other business that loses money to sell you something? And, you know, you don't go into a store and expect that store to lose money to sell you something and or provide a service. And and so because, again, circling back to how bad pharmacy experience across the country is in general, because most of most people are using chain pharmacy, it's. Now is a great time to talk about how independent pharmacies can be different. And yeah. hey, we we have sync, we have day packs, we have, you know, all these niche products in the front end that are probably higher quality and all these services that we can do. And and of course chain pharmacies are trying to do all those services too, but do you want to wait in line for two hours or do you want to show up and the store be closed? You know, and so um when you talk to these individuals, they're they're definitely open because they're like, yeah, I just was at pharmacy such and such and they were closed or now it was the fifth time I went back after them texting me it was ready and it's still not ready. And uh, so, again, great time to transfer patients in and a great time to talk to uh, policymakers. Yeah. Um, recently, we had uh, Kevin Duane uh, from Panama Pharmacy down in Florida join us and uh Back on May 23rd, he was at the hearing for the uh, third-party prescription drug programs, and um, it, w- it was a really, really great um, uh, meeting to watch on C-SPAN. And you know, Buddy Carter had some great lines there, and um, it, it, it was a really fun uh, article that uh, the testimony that Kevin Duane delivered. So I think we actually linked that in our uh, in his episode too. So. You're you're right. When those representatives hear the the firsthand stories, they are um, often shocked and appalled. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Yep. And it's like, man, all these rural community pharmacies. Like, how are they supposed to survive? And then, how is that a good thing to, you know, only allow mail order or only allow, you know, something that's not going to work for a local community? It's like, man, we gotta, you know, encourage or we gotta. There's got to be some changes to to make it sustainable for independent pharmacies, especially those in rural communities for the the patients they serve. I talked to uh, a pharmacist this morning who's headed to a um, a focus group. Yes, I think. Yeah, put on. Yeah, my, I got a lot of friends up just, there. Some, just uh, Stephanie, right down, who's running that, Stephanie yeah. Smith Coonty, who's running that, is okay. from this area. Yeah, so we don't so, have a. Uh, you know, so you're wondering what's going on. You know, one move for PBMs is to say, hey, I'd rather make friends with this group than have government regulation, right? Um, so we'll see. Uh, is it an olive branch? Uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't expect anything to come out of it because as reimbursements move, again, if we get to a NADAC plus model, we can all survive. And that's probably the 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 coup de grace of where independents want it to go because you're just guaranteed to make the money you know what you're going to make and at that point it's up to you to be good with the money that you make it's up to you to be good to grow your business it's up to be good for you to manage your business and there will be some shakeout in that because not everybody will be good at it but at least you know where you stand versus the the hit or miss but you know so that is certainly an opportunity there as but you know they're just vicious the pbms it's it's a i mean I don't think that that's going to happen overnight, even though right. we, we certainly have more momentum than we've ever had. You're going to have to survive for five years before you might see something like that truly. Right. Mm-hmm. 
you know, well, move the needle. Well, and that's what, you know, PBMs moved from if I can be big enough, I can save my customers a lot of money to if I can be big enough, I can make a lot of money. <laughs> right. Yeah. I and, mean, they are. But let's be, listen, I'll be on. I wish I invented them. Right. Or I wish right. I owned one. I mean, because they're successful and that's what yeah. motivates me as being a successful business. I don't want I, I underhandedness and I, I don't appreciate uh, non-transparency and all, of course. But, you know, you can't argue that they found their niche. It did, you know, it, they found their niche. I mean, I think that, again, there is a happy medium, though, like, you know, like, Jeff, you were saying, I mean, kind of, you know, halfway through that, you know, if, if, if we, we get there's a way for everybody to get paid and everybody succeed. And at the end of the day, to keep patients healthy, which is right, you know, which is the ultimate goal. I mean, Rite Aid's bankrupt. They're throwing the opioid thing under the bus. But let's be honest, they took contracts for a long time. Yeah. yeah, And, and you, you know, so don't act like it's the opioid thing that uh, we're supposed to feel bad for you. You mismanaged your stores for a long time. You know, you, you, you've been probably threatening bankruptcy for many over the years. And, you know, you can't keep taking these bottom of the barrel contracts for a matter with, with the event of Amazon. Nobody's going to those stores to buy the deodorant and the shampoo and the pop and the food and stuff that they thought they were going to capture. Or, or they probably did capture in the late 90s, early twos. But now people shop different. So having a 10,000 square foot massive store on the corner, nobody's really going there. So, you know, but there will be shakeups, you know, constantly. I think that's part of any evolve, any business industry, right? It always evolves. That's just a business and, fact. And when you look, you got two things from that. Um, chaos is where smart people make money. Period. Uh, you know, I just said that to somebody else. Oh, exactly. And, but I said there's there is going to be so much opportunity in this fallout. We have to figure out what exactly it is, though, right? I mean, it's it's anybody's guess where the needle lands. And I love uh, Troy Trigstad always says, if you don't like your hand, flip the table. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Troy. I'll tell you what. He's one of the smartest guys I know. I always enjoy. He's coming to Pittsburgh next week, and we have uh, lunch. We're having lunch oh, nice. uh, together. In a relatively short time at Panama, you've uh, been able to implement all these changes, uh, get your, your patients on board, get your staff on board with these changes. And one of the things that you'll hear if you talk with um, any, any independent is, you know, the, the, you mentioned stepping in a puddle, but the, uh, the reality of the uh, third party and PBM landscape for a lot of independents is um, it, it's, a, it's a real puddle to step in. <laughs> so um, Florida specifically has had some, uh, some big changes recently. So let's talk a little bit about um, kind of your role in advocacy and and what you've seen happen in the past couple years in Florida, I know the SB 1550, and I think it's the 1559. The... Yeah, 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 yeah. So Senate Bill 1550 and House Bill 1509, um, yeah. those represented uh, absolutely some of the most all-encompassing robust changes that any um, any pharmacy legislation, I think not just in the state of Florida, but I think for most states. And um, I think that um, I, I was just one part of it, but but I mean, I was happy to have been a part of it and happy to continue to be a part of it. So, uh, you know, again, as everyone knows, uh, who is an independent pharmacy owner or has a role in an independent pharmacy, 
uh, it, it has gotten so tough, you know, even more just in the past five to 10 years since I really became involved in independent community pharmacy. And one thing that I found very quickly and was, uh, I guess, morbidly somewhat refreshing was that I wasn't the only one suffering under this because everyone that you would talk to, you know, all had the same problems. And that made me feel good because it wasn't just me with one or now two stores, but it was the guy who is in the Midwest who has 10, 15, 20 stores. Like they're still all feeling it. So I'm like, okay, good. It's not just a small problem. It's not just a city problem. It's not just a rural problem. It, everyone can kind of connect on this, which means everyone um, is going to, you know, feel the same pain. And from my standpoint, uh, I was fine griping about it. And, and I certainly did my share of griping about it. Um, but, but I fully believe, and I think that most people hopefully will believe that it's one thing to complain about it, but you, if you're just going to complain about it and not try to do anything about it, uh, th then you're really not, um, doing anything about it. I mean, I mean, you can complain until the cows come home, but, but it doesn't matter if, if you're not actually trying to do something uh, to fix it. And so I knew that I had to get involved in this. And um, uh, we had some great success this year, but I'll tell you that um, this is probably the the fifth, this is probably the fifth, sixth year that I've been involved uh, at, at a state level, um, pretty intimately pushing for, for change in our industry. And, uh, and it was tough. Um, Florida has long been known as kind of a live and let live state. The government just politically doesn't see a role to put its hand in every facet of different parts of life. So at Which first- Which normally I love. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, sure, right? I mean, I, and I think that, you know, our message has always been, you know, hey, we get it. And, 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 and if you want to be- you know, uh, the best free market advocate possible, that's great. As long as, as a lawmaker, you recognize that in the PBM landscape and in the insurance landscape for pharmacy, not just independent community pharmacy, but there were plenty of grocery store pharmacies and other big box pharmacies that were standing right behind me saying, hey, this isn't a free market. So there's no way that this is going to work. So yeah, the first couple of years, we had a lot of doors shut in our face and we had a lot of uh, of resistance. You know, we, I, 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 we heard lawmakers say things like uh we're not really sure if there is a pbm problem we're, we're not really sure if florida should care whether or not pharmacies go out of business i mean those were just frank conversations that were had with us and so the first years were just educating it was just i mean the system by design is very complex and opaque so just educating a a, a lawmaker and, and 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 giving them the tools that they need to even begin to wrap their heads around um, what the problem is and how to fix it. I mean, it's difficult to explain to someone that's in the industry all of the problems that are associated with our industry at times. So explaining to someone who is, you know, a realtor or a school teacher or a small business owner unrelated to our industry or something like that, you know, it's very difficult for them to understand as a lawmaker, but they need to because they, they can't enact change or they can't, you sure. know, reliably... Uh, vote for or against something if, if they don't know what the problem is. So for the first few years, you know, that was really uh, what what we were faced with. And we had a lot of of defeat and, and it was difficult. And, and I'll tell you that there were times where it was it was very um, it was very enticing to just say, oh, well, let's just do cash compounding and all this and just, you know, swear off the whole system. But it's like, 
I knew, I mean, selfishly, that's still, you know, there's a lot at stake in the third party system and a lot of people have insurance. And so just squaring yourself off from a lot of that um, is a little bit like shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, but I mean, just from a more, um, like, it's not right. Like, yeah. you know, I take care of people in my community. They come to us. They deserve to be taken care of. And I need to be able to do it the best that I can. And I can't do it under the current system. So things really started to change within the past two to three years in Florida. Uh, some of it was definitely because, you know, we were educating lawmakers relentlessly on these issues. So it wasn't, you know, the state of Florida, uh, the state legislature in Florida has a 60 day window to to create and pass and affect laws. So you can't start on day one with, okay, what's a P what does PBM stand for? Like if you start there, you're <laughs> right. never going to get anything affected. So for the first few years, it was just getting lawmakers to the point where they understood the nuts and bolts of the issue so that then they could decide for themselves, okay, what does this look like in Florida and how do we fix it in Florida? Uh, that was one thing. And then the other thing is, you know, not just myself, but a lot of other pharmacists decided to do the same thing and put their money where their mouth was and, and, and say, okay, if we're going to whine and cry about it, then we're also going to be part of the change. And we actually had two pharmacists in this state that decided, well, okay, if that's what it takes, then I'll run for office. And we had two pharmacists run for state legislature and, and, and both get elected to their office. So it was a great, great thing to have colleagues in the state legislature that could help be our best advocates when, because I mean, I was taking days off to go to our state capitol and advocate, but you can't be there all the time and you can't be in every meeting and you can't be in every speaking engagement, all that kind of stuff. But, but your colleagues can, your colleagues that are elected there can. So that was really big for us. And then, and then our, and then our governor, Governor DeSantis, uh, had a problem with his insurance at a big PBM pharma. Ah. And so that, <laughs> really, that happened, you know, the, the, you know, and, and so he became engaged on the issue. His staff became engaged on the issue. And then I think the more that you got lawmakers talk, ta talking, the more you realize they each kind of had a story that led back to the same thing, which is this market is distorted somehow. There are problems where, if I'm having a problem here, she's having a problem here, they're having a problem over here. They were all, when they got together, having different problems with the pharmaceutical system in the state. And they all realized that something could be done about it. Something, you know, had to be done about it. So, I yeah. mean, from there, in my mind, it was just, it was a lot of grassroots. Like pharmacists, and that's something that we still have a lot of work to do on in general. But just, there are independent community pharmacies in every corner of every state in this country. So our ability to connect with, you know, lawmakers locally, people who can affect change locally, you know, whether it's business owners in your area, small business owners that come to your pharmacy, lawmakers that come to your pharmacy, just a lot of people come through our doors that have connections and that you can make connections through. So for us, it was just a grassroots ability to um, meet with and and educate and 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 constantly, you know, be uh, a thorn in the side of lawmakers until they really, you know, understood it, um, poured a lot of time into it, and then 
did what was best, not just for small businesses like ours, but for consumers and made sure that, you know, everything looked to be a healthier market in our state. So that's something that I've been very proud of. It wasn't any kind of secret sauce or silver bullet. It was just persistence and it's hard. And sometimes yeah. you just want to give up, but um, uh, we didn't and, and, it, and it really, really paid off. And I think it's just the beginning, not just for our state, but but for a lot of states. And even now we're seeing federally um, that, that um, I think there'll be a lot of change for us and for our patients as long as we continue to press and be persistent. Yeah. And I mean, from a, a lawmaker's point of view, you, you have to also consider that, you know, right now there's probably a, a couple of citrus farmers having the same conversation about how they need to, you know, really uh, engage with their legislator. And, and you know, they're, they're getting, um, you know, that, that same persistence from so many different industries that, um, you know, you, you do have to continue to be uh, – uh, vocal and 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 make sure that you're you're not just uh, sending a letter and well I tried you know that but that persistence that you talked about is I I think what really makes that um, um, you know eventually come around maybe maybe this year's not the year but you know next year because they've heard it and they've heard it and they've heard it and then they did have that one connection and you never know but when that one connection is go, going to be the one that uh, you know has that eureka moment. That's right. Absolutely. And it's just something like I said, you know, you run the risk of you don't want to be the flavor of the month or you don't want to be yesterday's news. So I think that and that's something that we continue to talk about here in Florida is like we did really, really great. But that was yesterday. And now it's like, yeah. what are we going to do today? And what are we looking forward to tomorrow? Because for so many years, we've been on defense in Florida and we've been just trying to beat back all of the very, very you know, anti-small business, pro multi-billion dollar conglomerate when it comes to the insurance space and the PBM space. So now we're kind of like, you know, okay, that's fine. And and we've kind of beat them back. But now it's like, now you need to go on the offensive. You, now you need to really stake your claim to what you're going to look like as the top of your licensed healthcare practitioner in your field. And, and what do you need legislatively in order to to do, and I know that sounds really easy when we're just talking about it, but it's like th that's really what needs to be done. Is like, okay, that's great, but like, let's not rest on our laurels. Let's make sure that we have a clear picture of what comes next year, what comes the year after, what comes in next. You know, to make sure that you have a roadmap of not just sustainability, but but of you know ability to to, to thrive in in your in your practice. Thank you for watching the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.